This is another iRaw podcast. We podcast to make the world a better place for animals. In the Canadian justice system, animals' interests are rarely represented. But the lawyers at Animal Justice fight to give them a voice in court and the political system. This is the Pawn Order Podcast, and these are their stories. All right, hello, and welcome to episode 440 of the Pawn Order Podcast. I am Peter Sankoff here with you today, and way across the country in Ottawa, oh, sorry, she's in Toronto now, is my co-host, Camille Labchuk. How are you, Camille? <laughs> hey, Peter, I'm good. Thanks it's for getting my city right. It's going to take me a while to get used to that. I'm just so used to Ottawa-based Camille Labchuk, and now she's Toronto-based yeah. Camille Labchuk. Back to my favorite city back in Toronto. So I, I think we spoke about this a little bit on the last episode, but the Animal Justice Office has moved back to Toronto where we started off. Uh, it's been a great thing in Ottawa for the last few years because we got tons of legislation worked on and passed. So that was good. But ultimately, Toronto's uh, the place to be. So much activism going on here, law firms, you know, it's a good spot. So did yeah, we've you, did got you a, say your favorite city, office. by the way? Did you say your favorite city? Did you mean in Canada or like on Earth? Uh, well, that's a good question. <laughs> Definitely in Canada. I don't even know about my that. My favorite city Maybe. to live in. No, I don't know. I don't know. I'm from Montreal. I, I don't I don't think I can go with Toronto being my favorite city, either to live in or to be in. There's just too much traffic. But the food is so good. You can find food elsewhere, Camille. I'm going to take you, I'll take you to Berlin where they have a much better transit system and it's like the food's excellent. You know that. Anyway, I've I don't know. I've been to Berlin. Yeah, but the transit yeah. system is like 20,000 times better than Toronto's. Well, I don't disagree with you on that one. It's, it's, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'm not going to. TTC is kind of painful. We're going to lose like 500 Toronto listeners. If we have 500 Toronto listeners, I'm skeptical of that concept. But if we do, we're going to lose some of them over my complaining about the traffic. But really, isn't complaining about Toronto traffic sort of like the national or the, the municipal sport in Toronto? Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. But hey, you know, you know what Toronto does have that other cities don't have? Well, two things. Two things. It has you, Number Camille. One. one is you. It has you. <laughs> that's true number one i was gonna say that was toronto fashion week Ooh. which you probably wouldn't expect to hear us talking about on this podcast well i was, I was invited actually... too camille i was invited to do some like underwear modeling but my wife wasn't happy about it so <laughs> they had some special vegan underwear they wanted me to do vegan underwear modeling and i said no no i my wife just would not be happy with that Oh, that's tough to find, vegan underwear. I hear, I hear that. <laughs> Let me. I okay, want to so, hear a vegan fashion week because I've heard they've got a, a special new model hitting the runway very soon. Yeah, that was actually yesterday. I did it already, and it was me. I was a model in the Wuxley Movement fashion show at Toronto Fashion Week. Wow. So, oh my God, Peter, it was like nothing I've ever seen. First of all, if you don't know Wuxley already... Uh, we've probably spoken about them extensively on this podcast, especially in the winter, but they are the best, super warm, luxury, high-end vegan jacket manufacturers. They are certainly, certainly a good friend of animal justice, if not specifically a good friend of this show. Is that fair to say? That's that's definitely fair yeah, to say. They've accurate. been huge supporters of us since day one, and we've been huge supporters of them since they started about three, four or five years ago. And amazing that a vegan brand has a show in Toronto Fashion Week. So wow. they kind of enlisted a bunch of non-traditional models, including myself and um, some other activists, some plant-based figure skater types, people who run PR agencies that do ethical work. It was kind of a cool collection of, of folks. And Peter, we show up at this like fancy venue in Yorkville, Toronto, so the fancy, fancy area. And I just walk upstairs to where we're supposed to get ready. So we got there super early. And there's like an assembly line of hair and makeup. And, oh, it's just like total like organized chaos. And uh, there was like six other shows going on at the same time, like before or after. 
So just all these models. Anyway, I felt totally out of place because most of the other models were like young, like 20 something men and women who were like six, five, and like super thin and tall. And then there's like the right. Wexley super, crew, which is a bunch on. of awesome Hold activists. on, let me, let me interrupt. Super thin, Camille. Boy, you would have felt out of place there. I've, yeah, yeah, I know. I've, I've, I know, stood, next to, I've stood next to you before. You fit yeah, the super but they're all thin like a category. foot taller than me. Oh, they're taller. <laughs> they're, I'll give you that. They're a foot taller. I'll give you that. But you definitely, you went pound for pound with them on the super thin category. Yeah. Anyway, it was it was a fun show. It was a fun show and uh, an experience that I didn't think I would have when I signed up to go to law school and become an animal rights lawyer. Well, hold on one second, Camille. Me thinks you are being too modest because if I recall correctly and my recollection of Paw and Order lore as you know, is second to none. I recall us having a discussion about fashion show before. This was not your first turn on the runway, was it, Camille? Fess up. Well, no, that's true. I was in a show with the Right Side Boutique, an amazing vegan boutique in Toronto. Uh-huh. But that was, it was not quite on the same scale as Toronto Fashion Week. Right, like, this was this, actually this a This thing deal. was just off the wall. Fair oh, enough. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was like a zillion photographers there. We had to do this specific walk and like pose at the end. And Anyway, I didn't trip. I didn't fall down the stairs, so I count that as a success. Listeners, I hate to tell you, the there's this is one of those good news, bad news stories, because the good news is that Camille got to do this, and the bad news is she was spotted by Vogue during the process, and there's a very likely possibility she's leaving Paw in Order for a high-profile fashion career. I mean, that would be very surprising <laughs> to me, so I, I, I wouldn't start looking for a new co-host just yet. Either, All right, okay? maybe, maybe cool it for now. I will I will hold off. I will hold off putting out a, a search, you know, engine request until we get the certainties of this, Camille, with your fashion career. Okay. Okay. That's good to hear. So what else have you been up so, to? I know, I know there were some more animal law related things going on uh, in Toronto as well. Yeah, there's actually a ton going on right now. It's just, uh, it's been really intense. So first of all, Toronto VegFest is coming up this weekend, and by the time this episode comes out on uh, the Friday, it should be uh, well underway. So if you want to go check out our booth at Toronto VegFest, you can stop by. We'll have petitions there to sign, um, lots of information about ways you can get involved and help animals. And uh, I'm actually speaking again this year, Peter. I'm going to be talking on the Friday night at 7 p.m., and you can look up the website for details on where that is. We'll link to it in the show notes, but I'm going to be talking about all the great laws Canada passed this year and how we can all keep the momentum going in the uh, years ahead. So that's coming up. And then the other thing, Peter, is that we are hosting a political advocacy workshop on Thursday, September 12th in Toronto. Um, it's, it's actually really exciting. People have been asking for help to get involved politically and understand how to lobby their MPs, how to work for election, uh, work during elections for animal-friendly candidates and, and make a difference for animals that way by getting better laws and policies. So we're going to show people how that whole process works. It's um, happening in Toronto Thursday, September 12th. You can uh, check out the show notes for the link, but the, the tickets are going really quickly. We've already... I think had 170 spoken for and there's only room for about 200. So if you want to get one, I recommend that you do it pretty soon. So that should be fun. Fantastic. Now I should add that uh, while we're talking VegFest, it's not as soon as yours, but uh, I would be remiss if I did not put out a plug for our friends at the Edmonton VegFest, who are, um, which is taking place next Saturday, September 14th. So if anybody is out and about, it's being held at uh, Remax Field in Edmonton. And they've really upped the ante. We talked about it last year, the Edmonton Veg Fest. I I am not speaking this year, but a lot of our good friends are going to be there. I do believe our sponsor, the Grinning Goat, will, of course, make its way up to Calgary uh, as one of the exhibitors. And we're very excited about that. And quite frankly, um, Camille, a lot of people who sponsored us last year uh, with respect to... uh, the Edmonton holiday party are all coming out to uh, provide sponsorship for this event. And it looks huge. Oh, look who's going to be there. Wuxley is going to be there. And I believe animal justice is going to have a stall. Camille, I'm not sure how you organize that, but your magic. That's right. Well, you can thank the students at the, uh, law, um, 
the law club at school, Peter, for, for running that booth for us. They're the ones who are doing it, right? Well, I'm very yeah. excited. I could not, I'm looking forward to it. My whole family looks forward to it every year. I'm hoping the weather will cooperate. But uh, yeah, Edmonton VegFest, also a big, big event. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, now that we're on the topic of VegFest, we'll be at Winnipeg VegFest the same weekend as Edmonton. So the 14th and 15th, run by some uh, great local animal lawyers who are helping us out with the booth this year. So check that out, too. Fantastic. Now, what else is uh, going on? Oh, I can see, Camille. We've got a little bit of bad news for our podcast listeners. You're taking off, Uh, aren't you? Yeah, I am. So it's good news for me. And, you know, maybe good news for you, too, Peter, because we're actually going to skip an episode. And indirectly good news for the podcast, Camille, because you will get some good content for our our next podcast, I'm I'm aware. But yes, we are we are we are we are going to have to miss an episode. I am very busy with a court case and Camille is uh, going to where are you going, Camille? I'll let you say it. I'm going to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Speaking at the New Zealand Animal Law Association Conference on September 28th, but I'm, of course, going a little bit early because I figure if you're going to spend the carbon miles and trek all the way around the globe, I got to see the the country a little bit. So I'm going to explore the New Zealand North Island and eat as much vegan food as I can find. I've already got a Google map started with some key restaurants. If you have any tips, hit me up on Twitter. I would love to hear them. But I'm excited, Peter. Fantastic. Should be a wonderful trip, uh, Camille. The, if if my math calculations are correct, that means, I hope you realize, that our next episode will be like airing around the time of the conference. In fact, depending on how we do it, Camille, it could be our live episode at the Dalhousie Student Conference. You do realize that. Yeah, yeah. So we might be a little flexible on the date for the next episode, but expect to hear us again in about a month. Yeah. Um, which really does take us into the conference yeah yeah it does it does so um yeah you might you might have some exciting new content pretty soon the the conference is sold out Uh, it has been for quite some time if you're a dalhousie student and you want to volunteer we can probably still fit you in so drop us a note through the conference website but otherwise we'll be looking forward to bringing you some pretty awesome coverage of that whole event wow that conference is going to be fabulous i really yeah i I had hoped we would be able to do a preview of the conference but now i'm looking at that schedule it might not be possible we might go right into our very special live event that we're going to be doing at the uh, student conference we are doing a live paw and order camille we haven't done one we haven't done a live episode since episode i think it was episode two or episode three yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I think it was. It's a while. Yeah, I'm very excited about the live episode. We'll be bugging all those uh, student conferences to think up all kinds of questions to pose to us. And we'll obviously try and do some recap of what's been happening and talk a little bit about your trip to New Zealand. It's going to be very exciting. So much going on, Camille. Great time of year. As always. Mm. And, uh, you know, this is this is kind of our back-to-school episode because classes are starting again for people in law school, for other people taking programs, and that includes you since you're teaching again. So are you are you back in the swing of things, and has anything been happening at the law school in Edmonton? Um, I try to ignore this time of year as long as I can, so it's... <laughs> it's um yeah it's it's tough transition for me to go back to being back to school i work all summer at my law firm and i sort of work on uh legal issues i mean i do some writing and research too and some animal law stuff but uh coming back to school is definitely a change it puts me on much more of a rigid schedule but luckily uh because of the way our semester works i don't start for another two weeks (laughs) that's really weird so i'm only teaching first years this semester and the first years do a special sort of or uh, intro to law program for the first two weeks so although all the students are here i am not teaching them but i should say i have some exciting news because the students are teaching um today i will be uh right after this recording this podcast camille i'm going down to meet uh i am the official meter and greeter for our special guest uh supreme court of canada justice rosalie abella who of course you remember quite fondly from the case we love to refer to since it was the only time to this minute that we've been to the supreme court together and that was the dlw case of course yeah, that's so cool. And Justice Abella wrote a dissent in that case. She agreed with all of our submissions about the importance of animals in our justice system and the importance of protecting them as a social value. So that's pretty neat that you're going to get to spend some time with her. She's 
an awesome judge. Always nice. Always nice to catch up with Judge Sabella. So yeah, that's going to be great. So that's part of the fun of the school year. And then we get to have dinner. Uh, my wife and I are having dinner with her with a group of other people from the law faculty tonight. So quite a lovely day ahead. Very excited. Oh, I'm so jealous. Well, enjoy. I will. All right, Camille, that is what is going on uh, with us. We have some uh, other news about the podcast maybe you want to share with our listeners. Yeah, so a reminder that you can support us on Patreon to help keep this podcast going. That's a monthly contribution platform to help people who create items like podcasts. We are now at $173 per month, so close to our $200 goal. And that's thanks to some new patrons. We've got Jeff and Jenny and also Britta. Thank you guys so much for signing up. Uh, if you want to join the club, patreon.com slash paw and order. You get uh, specialized gifts like cards that are signed by us and merchandise and shout outs on the podcast, depending on how much you're able to contribute. So please check it out if you want to. And Peter, also, I'd like to remind everyone to leave a review if you love Paw & Order, because it helps other people find the podcast. And, and it That's makes great. us feel better about ourselves. It makes us feel That's like we true. have listeners, Camille. Even if we don't, it makes us feel like we do. I mean, I don't know why you keep saying that, because we do. And proof of that is by all the reviews that we get, including this nice one by Burkhardt, who says, I love this podcast and have been listening religiously since it began. It's a must-listen for anyone who's interested in learning more about animal rights or animal law. The podcast has also helped me make the transition from vegetarian to an almost vegan, but I'd recommend it for plant eaters and meat eaters alike. Well, thank you very much for that nice review. So kind of you. Uh, please come leave us another review so we've got something nice to talk about on the next episode. Sounds awesome. I like it. And I believe... I have a few things to note on the next thing, which is about our good friends at The Grinning Goat. And we have lots to say about The Grinning Goat, who, of course, are Canada's vegan clothing and accessories store, who I talked about earlier. I'm looking forward to seeing all the folks from The Grinning Goat at the Edmonton Veg Fest. You can learn more about The Grinning Goat by visiting their website at www.grinninggoat.ca. And the special code for our listeners, don't tell anyone who's not a listener is paw 15 to get 15 percent off on your purchase they ship all across canada and camille i understand having looked on facebook that they have restocked their camille boots <laughs> yeah it's true so grinning goat named a line of footwear after the animal justice team because it came from a manufacturer that hadn't named it so they gave the boots our names and there's a pair of Camille boots that they posted on Instagram and Facebook the other day about and they're back in stock so if you want to get the Camille boots they're kind of like sturdyish winter ones but they've also got a bit of a heel so you can wear them in a few different situations well I noticed that I, I couldn't find the Peter boots so I don't know what's going on Green and Go people I'm 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 taking this very personally if you can't get the Peter boots back in stock. Although the truth is, Camille, I think we're both traitors to our own name. Is that right? Because I, I didn't buy the Peter boots. I both bought the Nick boots. And I, I didn't you buy the Shannon boots? I think I bought the Sarah boots. <laughs> the Sarah yeah. boots. <laughs> so I was very disappointed with my namesake boot. I, I lobbied, you know, vigorously for them to switch the Nick and Peter boots because I wanted to be called the Nick boots. But anyway, they just, apparently my influence is going nowhere, Camille. Ah, very no disappointed sway. very disappointed anyway well, we still love please the yeah goat. we absolutely love the grinning goat and they 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 mentioned us in their in their facebook post yesterday about how they're proud to be sponsors of this podcast and we couldn't be more thrilled to have them as our sponsors so that's great news please do your shopping at the grinning goat i'm looking forward to picking up some things this next weekend Absolutely. And one final announcement. So Animal Justice currently has something going on called the Summer Compassion Challenge, which is a fundraising drive. We are happy to everyone uh, who's uh, ha thankful for everyone who's donated so far and excited to let you know if you haven't, that if you sign up to become a monthly donor during this drive, your gift will be matched for the first year. So if you donate $10 a year for the first year, that's $120, a generous donor is going to match that and double it up to $240. So your gift will go twice as far to help animals, and the support will help us give animals a voice in court, 
and in the legislatures, which is something that we uh, really believe is important because we believe in animal justice, that animals need lawyers too. So check out animaljustice.ca for more information about the Summer Compassion Challenge and uh, don't miss your opportunity to have your gift doubled. Absolutely. Sounds fantastic. I look forward to everybody helping us out with that Compassion Challenge. Okay, Peter, let's move on to the news section. Our first item today is uh, something kind of exciting that happened this week for animal justice. We were granted leave to intervene in a case about Canada Goose advertising in Toronto. So background to this, in fall of 2018, PETA put up some ads in Toronto with, uh, with, with, with ads. These ads were targeting Canada Goose, which of course uses fur trim and goose down in its jackets. And uh, one ad said something about, uh, you know, there was a photo, photo of a coyote and it said, I'm, I'm me, not fur trim. And there was one about a goose with a photo of a goose that said, I'm me, not down Philly. So, you know, great effective ads. They went up on Toronto transit shelters. And within 24 hours, the city and Astral Media, which runs the transit shelters for the city, they had taken down the ads because they said they had complaints about them. And uh, that's obviously pretty disappointing for PETA, which paid money to have these ads up and really wanted to communicate with the public about the importance of these issues and why they shouldn't buy Canada Goose Jackets. Mm. So PETA ended up suing the city over this and Astral Media and saying that uh, the charter, well, actually, they didn't quite say that. They said it was an improper removal of ads. Mm -hmm. And Animal Justice decided to get involved in the case because we wanted to really emphasize the point in this litigation that the charter applies to city advertising, even if a private company like Astral Media is running those ad spaces. You can't just remove ads because you don't like the content because that would restrict people's rights to free expression, which are guaranteed under the charter. So we had a contested hearing on whether animal justice should be allowed to intervene in this case. PETA, of course, was supporting that. But uh, Astral Media and the city of Toronto fought it pretty hard. So we had a hearing with a judge. And uh, Justice Corbett ended up granting our application, so we are going to court on this very important case, and we'll be talking about the free expression aspects of it on October 15th in Toronto before the Divisional Court. So if anyone's listening and you want to come watch it, you're totally welcome to. We'll share some details in advance and, and probably talk about it on the next podcast so people can understand what to do. It's fantastic, Camille. Really good news. And uh, by the way, I was just thinking when you were telling the story, I don't know about you, but it's just, it's, it's kind of how the whole factual matrix of this is kind of interesting. I, I just, I, what I'm trying to figure out whether the, the, the transit commission or whoever it is in charge of these ads at the end of the day would respond the same way if they got complaints about those ridiculous dairy ads or anything else, right? Or, I, like, do they pull ads for those reasons if you just complain enough? I'm not aware of any ads being pulled. I mean, there were, there were some ads that were taken down, I believe. So the Dairy Farmers of Canada put up some ads that were false because yeah, they said that, that taken milk down has no reason. hormones. So maybe, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there were complaints about those ads, but I don't recall any of them being taken down. So maybe if we lose this case, Camille, and let's hope we don't lose this case, but if we lose this case, we just need to start a good complaint campaign on a regular basis because <laughs> apparently if you complain, they'll take down the ads. Or maybe that only applies to animal ads. Who knows? You know, it's hard to tell. Yeah, yeah, kind of suspicious, right? So so this, this case is interesting. Mm. We can talk about it more after we argue it too, but, uh, you know, so one of the main issues in the case is whether the charter does apply because the city and the astral media are both saying, look, these are city transit properties but they've contracted with Astral Media right. to put up the ads and run the ads so that the city doesn't have to, to worry about doing it themselves. And so Astral Media is a private company and the charter doesn't usually apply to private entities, but, but it's sure, fulfilling a government function. I was about to say, I'm it sure. very obviously does. I'm sure you're going to argue that the charter can't be contracted out. You can't, well, exactly. uh, Otherwise, you can't take a government just, function of a public space and just contract it out and say, well, we're not bound by the charter. Exactly. Otherwise, you could just do that all the time to restrict people's charter rights, and that would be just sidestepping the sure. law. Sure. No charter rights in prison. Just create private prisons. Charter doesn't apply. Exactly. Nice and easy, right, Camille? Yeah. Well, that would yeah. be very so, silly, but yet that's, I'm sure, what the argument you're going to get is all about. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had a very good hearing with the judge yesterday, and um, if PETA and, uh, sorry, Astral and the city of Toronto objected to our participation in the case on like pretty ridiculous grounds, I'm going to say. 
and the judge was not having any of it. He, he asked them the right questions and um, I think was very attuned to the key issues in the case. So I'm hopeful that whatever bench of three judges ends up hearing this, they'll, they'll feel the same way. Absolutely. Good. Good to know. Good to know, Camille. There are some Good. other uh, legal cases of interest, um, ones that we have talked about on this show before, but we should bring the latest updates on those cases while we're talking about leave applications. Uh, two animal cases of note are now both seeking leave to uh, appeal the decision of the lower court to the Supreme Court of Canada. Now, Camille, it seems to me, since this is a legal show, but a legal show for beginners, maybe it's uh, worth spending a couple of moments talking about what it means uh, to do leave to the Supreme Court of Canada. Yeah, I, th- I think that is a good idea. Yeah, I think that's that's smart. So um, you, I'll start off, and why don't ahead. you jump in with your pro- professorial wisdom and correct me on anything I missed, Peter? Sure. So the Supreme Court is the highest level of court in Canada. It hears cases, but it does not hear all cases that you want to bring to it. It's very selective about the cases it does listen to. And in most situations, you have to seek leave from the court for them to hear your case. So that involves an extensive leave application where you have to make the point that your case matters in some way, that it's not just um, a dispute that uh, isn't worth the court's time. They they have very Mm. limited time to hear cases in the court case of a year. Uh, in the course of a year or so. So they need to believe and be convinced that hearing your case is important. So that often involves dealing with policy questions, issues of national importance. Um, what else, Peter? Yeah, that's a good start. Like, like, just remember that, like, think of how a legal case takes place. You have your ordinary legal case. You bring your action in the lowest court or the court where it's designed to go, which if it's a civil action like these cases we're dealing with, you're sort of in the superior court. And then you seek, you, you get usually an automatic right of appeal. Um, every case that I'm aware of in Canada, just about, even small claims court cases, have an automatic one right to appeal. So essentially, you get to appeal to the next court up. But essentially, from there, uh, if you want to appeal further, you can try. But now you have to get permission from the court to appeal. So as Camille points out, the Supreme Court is the court, the final court of appeal for 10 provinces and three territories. Well, all of those provinces and territories have their own courts of appeal that manage most of the appeals in that jurisdiction. So really, it's it's honestly it's less than one in twenty cases that goes up. It's it's less than that. It's only one out of twenty cases just about that apply for leave. Most people when they lose at the court of appeal don't even apply to go any further. Um, and then you're looking at about a one in twenty chance of getting up to the Supreme Court of Canada. And the 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 way you do that is you've really got to show that your case is more than just a local dispute between two parties. You've got to show that this is something so important um, that the Supreme Court needs needs to hear about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. So we, we've got now two cases, and we've discussed both of these cases at some length on the podcast. Uh, one is the Stantix case, the so-called dangerous dog case out of BC that we spent our whole last episode discussing, episode 39. And the other case involves Lucy the Elephant, brought by Zuchek and some local animal advocates in Edmonton, uh, where the BC Court of Appeal in a split decision said that... Um, there Alberta, is, uh, Alberta no, Court of Appeal. Oh, I'm sorry. Alberta Court of Appeal said in a split decision that um, it was the, 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 there's no requirement for uh, Zuchek to be able to uh, bring that case. They, they lost on a standing issue. And so that's being sought leave to appeal as well. Let's talk about those briefly, Camille. I, I, let, why don't we start with Santix? Because we that was the subject of our last episode. Um, and we talked at length about the decision in British Columbia and how we thought it was unfortunate. And, you know, I think I made some fun of the fact that they were, uh, the court was inconsistent in its reasoning. Um, you know, certainly that seems, it, it, it does help if you can point out to the Supreme Court of Canada how the lower court made a mistake. So I do think I do think they, they would be able to point to the issues that I suggested last week, as well as others they may have located, and say, well, the British Columbia Court of Appeal got it wrong. This is one reason you should hear the case. But generally speaking, that doesn't get you very far. Uh, the Supreme Court likes to say that it's not a court of correction. That is not its function to correct every error made by the Court of Appeal. The real question in this case is, is this an important enough case that it's worth going forward? 
That's right. And on that test, they might have a, a tough time. Uh, we're talking about a local issue. So the bylaw that's being discussed in this case applies to the city of Vancouver. And it's an issue of statutory interpretation. So just sort of one, one provision in that bylaw. So it's, it's not a case where you can really make the case that there's going to be a national impact because of the outcome. Dangerous dog legislation differs vastly, as we discussed last episode, between the provinces. Mm. And uh, BC, as far as I am aware, stands alone in the way their provisions are worded. So it, it's not like this would apply anywhere. So I, you know, my personal feeling is that they've got a bit of a challenge to overcome in that respect. Yeah, I think I think as animal advocates, first of all, we should say like I'm always happy. The more cases I can get up to higher courts, the better. Um, we need the laws in this country governing animals, as we discussed last week, involving dog control. Frankly, I'd love you know I'm excited. I'll be excited to be honest when the first animal cruelty case goes up to the Supreme Court. Do you know when that last happened, Camille? Let me, can I check the historical record for a minute to check when the last animal cruelty case went before the Supreme Court? When was that, Camille? Do you remember the year? Oh, I don't know. Is there a date for never? Oh, right. Sorry. Never, (laughs) never, ever, ever. Never. Like, there has never been a case that has dealt with our animal cruelty legislation. And I want you to understand how rule that, rare that is. Honestly, I want you to understand how rare that is. Do you know how many cases, like, I mean, I realize that animal cruelty is not the most important crime. I do get it, right? And I, I'm not going to say otherwise. You could literally, Camille, pick a provision of the criminal code. Pick anyone. Just randomly. And I can give you a case affiliated with it from the Supreme Court of Canada. Really, it's unbelievable. Like, the Supreme Court of Canada has interpreted, you know, I mean, not some of the really minor crimes that never exist, but, but like, they've had indecency cases. They've had, they've had breaches of public order cases. They've, they've decided on the meaning of sexual assault about 850,000 times. Murder. I'm sure they'll robbery. re-decide it again soon. Yeah, fraud, fraud, false pretenses, treason for God. God's sake, you go down the list, the Supreme Court has dealt with them at one point or another, and rightfully so, right? At some point, you've got to interpret the words of the statute to understand what it means. But nobody has ever managed to make it to the Supreme Court of Canada to interpret for my money, one of the most confusingly written provisions in the criminal code that affects the way in which we prosecute animals. So, I mean, no one wants these cases to get to the Supreme Court more than I do, to return back to our point. But I think just saying that this is about animals, which is novel, which is true, it is kind of novel, it's just not going to get you very far. And frankly, the proof of that is the first Lucy case where they tried to go forward. And one of their pitches, which I actually thought was reasonably compelling myself, was that this is going to assess the interests of animals before the courts. And that's never been done before. And that is an issue that affects more than just Lucy. It affects all animals. Well, similarly, in Santix, my guess is that the applicants are going to try to say, look, dogs are very important creatures, and they are part of our lives, and therefore the Supreme Court should look at the way in which we make decisions related to their legal interests. Like, that sounds logical, but the, the, the difficulty I have with that, and where I think, like you, Camille, that this case is likely to fall down at the leave stage, although, of course, I'd be very happy if I'm proven wrong, right? Because I'd love to see the case go forward. But where I think it's likely to fall is just, as you point out, the case will not make a decision, although the court could obviously fill, you know, parts of the decision up with like words about how important it is to treat dogs fairly. They might do that. But ultimately, as you point out, whatever decision they make will only affect British Columbia, it's just it's it's the wording of these statutes and the issue that's actually at stake in Santix is really quite small in the sense that it's only about whether or not you can read the statute to include a conditional order. So I don't see how the court would would be would be interested in deciding on that case, given how different the language is in other provinces. Yeah, and maybe we'll be proven wrong, and that would be fantastic. And and I think it's a really good exercise to be doing this. I'm really glad that Council for Santix is bringing it because it's important for the court to know and hear that there are animal issues that are being litigated that people want finality and uh, pronouncements from the highest court on. So, you know, sure, I think that's sure. all very positive. And, and I think that's true, too. There's really nothing to lose um, aside yeah. from, well, aside from costs, right? Um, luckily, costs in leave applications are 
are not too bad, but the likelihood of this being a civil case, if they lose, the court is very likely to award costs against them. So if they're willing to bear those costs, then great, like take a shot. Yeah, yeah. So that's the Santix case. And yeah. we talked a little bit about the, the issues at stake in the Lucy case, which are, you know, arguably much more of national importance because the case deals with standing and the ability of animal advocates to have courts review matters affecting animals. And it's really hard to say that that doesn't matter uh, because obviously it does affect you know virtually every animal in this country. Um, animals don't currently have standing. So the ability of animal advocates to seek standing, to bring cases affecting their interests is, is significant. Well, and it's thing, more course, than that. Is... It's, it's, it's a bigger issue too, right, Camille? Because it's like, it's, it's, it's also about the whether or not the courts are willing to exercise. You can spin this as a bigger issue as well, um, in that the, one of the questions at stake is whether or not the courts are willing to take supervisory jurisdiction over, you know, executive-based decisions not to act in a particular way. And that's one of the totally. complaints in the Lucy case is that the, the problem here is that the executive or, you know, what passes for the executive, the city in this case, is failing to act. They are deliberately refusing to enforce their own legislation. And there are interesting questions there to be raised about standing in that context, which I think go beyond animal questions. Um, there's no question. I think if the Lucy case gets leave, uh, it would not surprise me at all if environmental groups and other political action groups seek to intervene on that particular question. I agree. It raises so many important issues. And, you know, you can imagine all kinds of scenarios where the government is essentially supposed to be enforcing the law, but against itself because it owns an entity that's regulated, which is what the case is with the Edmonton Valley Zoo. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this this case raises such issues of obvious importance that, that that's helpful. Um, between now and when the first Lucy appeal was uh, brought to the Supreme Court for a leave application, uh there's also a lot that's changed, and, and I think you've, you've pointed out this, this out before, Peter, but the context between now and, what was that, 2011 or 2012 when the last one was being discussed, uh, things have changed rapidly in that time about our attitudes regarding animals. The Supreme Court has now heard one animal case. They've heard the DLW case in that time. And uh, legislation has been changing. Uh, it's, a, it's an entirely different context. So, you know, I hope that will play into their decision. Me too. I do hope that uh, I was disappointed the last time that uh, the Lucy case was uh, uh, decided in that way. And I was disappointed that uh, uh, I thought there was a credible case for leave last time. Well, I, I think they have an even more credible leave case this time. Uh, because now, of course, they have the two dissents. And not surprisingly, the leave application, I, I sort of got the sense that the leave application was trying to relitigate both cases in a sense, right? It was like really, it was citing quite liberally from the first judgment as well as from the second judgment to sort of say, look, this is why we need to be able to go forward. Yeah, yeah. So incredibly important case. We'll be watching them both very closely. How long does it take, Peter, typically to, to hear back on the leave application? It can be several months. Uh, it just depends on how, you know, they got it in. Luckily, they got it in after the summer. So the summer break, uh, the judges are all back from summer break by the time it's been filed. So uh, um, my guess is we're looking at two to three months. It can take longer than that, depending on what happens to the leave application. It actually depends upon... Um, to be honest, the length of time, as crazy as it sounds, uh, depends upon the merit that different judges think the case has. Like, for example, if they all agree, if they all take a look at it and say this is not a case for us, it can be can be decided in like six weeks really quick. You know, mm. It's more that if one of them says, you know what, I want to take a closer look at it, that can slow things down. And if, 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 again, in the same vein, if all three say yes, then it's in. It's very quick. But it's where there's disagreement among the various judges that can lead to some form of, you know, okay, we need to look at this more closely. They need to meet. They have a discussion. That can take several months. Mm. Well, so likely we'll hear something this year, I hope, and uh, we'll be following it very closely. Yeah, absolutely. Very excited about that case. So we've got one more story uh, to get into, and this was a bit of a, uh, an interesting study that talked about the conflict between human rights and animal rights. And I don't know about you, Camille, I found this an interesting study to read. I did too. It's a great article to see. So we're, we're looking at a Vox article that we're going to link to in the show notes. 
headline is that there's no conflict between human rights and animal rights. And it tackles head-on issues that, as animal advocates, we hear about all the time. Mm. Something called whataboutism. So if you care about animals, why are you wasting your time on them when so many human beings are suffering? People always say, oh, you should be focused on helping children in X country that uh, has hunger issues. You should be worried about racial equality. You should be worried about all of these other issues that well, what about um, the children, Camille? What about the children? Yeah, and it's inevitably human issues too. It's a way of minimizing the importance and significance of working on animal rights issues. Mm. And it's frustrating because it's a, you know, as the article points out, it's a rhetorical strategy meant to paralyze people not to do something and sort of diminish the work that they are doing, mm. um, often just deflecting attention from, from the need for that work to be done. But this study that... Uh, Can I read a line from it, Camille? Because it's really good. This is yeah, really, go ahead. Yeah, you, 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 I just want to read that. So, so most people argue about the way in which different things uh, take importance, but the, the, the writer quite cleverly writes, but animal suffering is a different category. To fret over animals, given the anguish experienced by so many people, can seem like misplaced priorities at best and a callous insult to the needs of the human community at worst. And let me just stress, that's not the author making that argument. He's summarizing the argument of, of others. But I don't know about you, Camille. I have faced that, um, I don't know, should I go with dozens of times? I've literally been confronted with that dozens of times. Like, weird choice, Peter. Really? Like, that's what you want to spend your time on? Whom? Who? <laughs> who? Hmm. Let me go back to my couch and do nothing while I pontificate about you doing the wrong thing for animals because really that hurts humans. I've literally heard that crap many times, Camille, haven't you? Oh, of course. And uh, your point about going back to your couch, I think, is, is well taken because it tends to be people who are not <laughs> doing nothing. major activists themselves. <laughs> I mean, not saying that not doing anything, they're probably you know donating to some charities and yeah. sharing things on yeah. Facebook, but it doesn't tend to be from people who are working full time in activism or progressive. No, because change. people people like that at least respect the effort you're putting in. It's very you're absolutely right. It's never from people like that. It's from people who like to you know speak from their high horse. Um, you know, yeah. Camille, I'm sure they say to you, like, Camille, why aren't you just involved in political activism, working to get a more... Oh, wait a minute. You're doing that, Camille, already. <laughs> you, you found a way to combine your hobby horses. Camille rides multiple hobby horses at once. She gets to she gets to do her political stuff while trying to fight for animals. Very clever, Camille. Yeah, it's a good combo. So, okay, so if you're one of these people that faces these comments from others... There is new research out of Harvard and Dartmouth that uh, looked at these concerns. So they used survey data to see whether people who supported animal rights were likely to support a variety of human rights as well. And surprise, surprise, uh, they were. So people who are compassionate for animals tend to be compassionate, much more compassionate for mm. uh, LGBTQ individuals, mm. racial and ethnic minorities, unauthorized immigrants, low-income people. Uh, you name it, the compassion is, an, is not a finite resource. The more compassion you have, the more compassion you have to give. And then the, the cool part, and then one of the reasons, Peter, I guess why we're talking about this on the show, is that the study also compared how strong animal treatment laws were in states uh, to how strong the laws protecting human beings were. Mm. And again, they found that there's a strong correlation between better laws for animals and better laws for people. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, very interesting, and 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 I will say it's nice to have it studied, Camille. But I must say that this news comes as like zero surprise <laughs> to me. Oh yeah, <laughs> like zero zero surprise. It's like it really it, to me the link is so intuitive. It just seems very very obvious that the idea um, that if you care about one, you care about others, and your whole the whole idea of of speciesism, and of course many many people. People have written about the links between speciesism and and, and environmentalism and the, and the feminist movement and the idea that essentially you are you are trying to deconstruct this whole idea of what other is so that we can we can take advantage of the other. Of course, it seems to me quite logical, but it's nice to see a study done, Camille, that makes it official. Yeah, it, it, it really is. It's, it's never a choice between two issues. It's always both. We support everything. 
Um, you know, most of the people I know who are involved in animal advocacy and support these issues are concerned about oppression of all forms and I, I, concerned about human equality, racial equality, uh, disability rights, animal rights, environmental protection. Yeah, so but Camille, I, think, I just uh, want to say, like, I, I, I feel all that's right. But if push comes to shove, like, fuck that other stuff, right? I'm fighting for the animals. I just want you all to know, Camille, I'll sell out your, you know, Democratic voting stuff. I don't care. Just let's make <laughs> things better for the animals. You guys realize he's being sarcastic, so don't, well, don't hold I mean, it against him. <laughs> sort of, a little bit. <laughs> okay. Anyway, great, great, great study. article. Yeah. It is time for our uh, main topic today, which is very thematic, Camille. Very timely with our back to school issue. This is like our back to school issue. Let us talk about animal law clinics. It is a very timely uh, subject given the time of year and the fact that law schools are starting up and with them are those animal law clinics. And we've decided to focus on uh, this particular topic for, for a very good reason, or really for two reasons. I'd say the first reason is that a couple of new, reasonably important clinics have popped up, and we'd like to talk about um, what they're doing and what their potential is. And I think, too, Meal, from my perspective, I'd like to talk a little bit more broadly about, you know, God, how great it would be to get an animal law clinic in Canada because of what I think such a clinic is capable of doing and what, you know, the types of change it could really make. Absolutely. It would be amazing to have here. And we're looking to our friends south of the border for some inspiration in this regard. So, yeah, the stories that prompted this uh, this segment on this episode, first of all, at Harvard Law School, for quite some time now, they've had an animal law and policy program. And this year, they're adding a clinic to their roster of program offerings. So the clinic has just hired a full-time clinical instructor, Kathy Meyer. She's a lawyer formerly with, uh, with an amazing animal-focused law firm in D.C. called Meyer Glitzenstein Crystal that's just sort of closed up shop and transitioned to other things. So, so great instructor. And uh, from the website, Peter, it says that the Animal Law and Policy Clinic will provide students with direct hands-on experience in animal advocacy on behalf of both captive animals and wildlife experience, uh, including litigation, legislation, administrative practice, and policymaking. And uh, I am just so excited about this. They, they talk a little bit about some of their strategies that they'll, they'll engage in as well. So they're going to introduce students to the overarching issues that non-human animal law advocates face in their work, and uh, a lot of different interesting, fun tactics for getting your issues heard. So they're going to be working on things like petitions, open government laws and basic legislation, uh, litigation, uh, administrative and organizing strategies and a bunch of uh, under a bunch of whole diff uh, under a whole bunch of cool statutes. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I I think this is exciting stuff. I am uh, simultaneously um, excited and darn it, Camille, just green with envy, like downright. Yes. I don't. I do not have thinly veiled jealousy here. I have outright you know, <laughs> overt. I'm just jealous. I think that it's an unbelievable opportunity. And I think it hits every button of what I like. Uh, it does a couple of things. First of all, you know, we don't want to overlook the fact that it's a training program. You are essentially getting students set up for uh, the next part of their career. And if you really want to try and set up and get people ready to be great animal advocates, like this is the type of program you set up. And let's be real, Camille. Um, not every person who goes into this animal law and policy clinic is going to become an animal advocate, nor do they need to be. Um, you know what I mean? Like uh, Toronto, U of T, U of T has the uh, Parkdale Clinic, right? It's the Parkdale Clinic? Oh, or? that's Osgood. U of Sorry, T has Osgood downtown has the Parkdale legal clinic. services. Whatever, downtown legal services. I served at downtown legal services, and I did a lot of like landlord-tenant stuff. Um, you don't see me as a landlord-tenant tribunal lawyer, right? That's not what I do. It doesn't really matter. Um, some, some, but, but the truth is, those clinics 
do create a lot of people and do push them to do uh, animal advocacy work. So even if you're getting, like, who cares what the numbers are, right? Let's say one in 10 of those people in your clinic go on to become animal advocates part-time or full-time. That's an incredible number over time. So, like, the, the, the actual student growth potential in terms of growing uh, the number of animal lawyers who are capable of doing that kind of work is, is first and foremost amazing. But, I mean, for me, the real 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 thing is is the second part of the equation right which is like um the second part which is um uh sorry i'm blanking the actual work camille right helping clients yeah the actual work like the advancing of the women this summer camille as you know i i I hired two students so i have like a mini clinic of my own and i do it for all the reasons we just pointed to a learning opportunity for the students but also to help me with the work like the only way i can do some of the animal cases i do is with help they have a full clinic at a full-time supervisor and students who will get credit for doing this kind of work like that's just to me incredible Oh, I I totally agree. And there is a real need for this kind of work, especially smaller chunks of work that students can take on with supervision. Uh, You know, for instance, I hear all the time from groups like sanctuaries or wildlife rescues. I'm I'm sort of helping one right now that's having an issue with some municipal licensing stuff. Uh, It's it's manageable chunks of work that make a real difference when you're a cash-strapped rescue or charity or nonprofit just trying to do good work for animals and you need legal support. It's often very difficult for these people to afford lawyers to uh, at full rates or even reduced rates to, to help them with their problems. So there's huge potential to, to help animal organizations and charities. But there's also really cool potential to work on longer term projects. That, I that's mean, the big one. Clinics you know, yeah. can partner. Yeah, yeah they can partner with uh, organizations like Animal Justice. Uh, there's tons of worthy organizations in the States. And just having that type of labor to assist with cases is going to be huge for many, many organizations. Well, well, frankly, Camille, I, I think it could be, I think you, you've got the proverbial tail wagging the dog, because to be quite frank, I think it could be the other way around. Like the Harvard, Harvard, Harvard's resources are so freaking ridiculous that the Animal Law and Policy Clinic could, doesn't really always need to partner with other organizations, if you know what I'm saying. Like, I think they can, they can just create their own animal advocacy center do you know what i mean that is essentially advancing their own cases and i think that's that's really exciting too they'll be able to do that's why i think they're calling themselves the animal law and policy clinic because they want to get really engaged on policy issues so so i think like it's more than just partnering god like if we had a clinic i'd love it to partner with animal justice and whatever but like the animal law and policy clinic will become a force of its own Well, I certainly hope so. They've got the resources and the reputation to do so, which is another aspect of this. The fact that Harvard is hosting such a a clinic is uh, significant in in all kinds of other ways that I don't think I need to explain. Can I I just read? Because I agree, it hits all. I'm just reading from the press release that I read in the Harvard Law today. The goal is to, as I said, prepare our graduates um, um, to embark on careers in the animal protection field, but also to produce impactful litigation and policy analysis. um, And and provide an internationally renowned platform for educating the broader public. Like, it seems to me they want to hit all those buttons. And what's really exciting is when I read the paragraph where they say, establishing a clinic at Harvard will leverage Harvard's international strengths to develop creative strategies utilizing law, science, and public policy. I mean, to me, that's one of the advantages with getting a clinic or a policy center in a university, which we, unfortunately, Camille, we haven't come to the end of this yet, but as you've guessed, given my green with envy, that just doesn't exist exist in Canada right now. But if you can bring together, you can bring together the different expertises from, 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 from various parts of the university that are really quite concerned about animals, then you, that's when you can start to combine law, science, uh, and, and public policy in a way that I think is super effective. Yeah. Yeah. So there's huge potential for this. And Peter, we're talking about the Harvard Clinic because they have started a new one, and that's an exciting sort of newsworthy story. But we'd be remiss if we didn't point out that the very first clinic was actually started at Lewis and Clark Law mm. School in Portland, Oregon in 2008, the Animal Law Clinic. Uh, and they had the foresight at the time to see that there was a real need for this uh, far before anyone else was, was really working extensively on these issues. And uh, their students have done very similar work, research, analysis, and writing 
petitions to state and federal agencies, comments on proposed regulations, FOIA requests, that's the open records requests, mm. uh, legal investigations, tons of incredible work, uh, writing policy papers, blog posts, guidance documents, uh, and law review articles. So their students have been on this for, for quite some time. And I, I know from having spoken with students who have gone through the animal law program there that they got uh, just tremendous training and, and experience working at the clinic. But the the other cool thing, Peter, is that in uh, 2019, they're also launching a new clinic. So it's wow. a clinic specifically focused on the legal protections and rights of farmed animals. And it's the only clinic in the country, and I'm going to guess the world, focused exclusively on farmed animal litigation. And, they and... hired Delciana Winders mm. to, to head it up. And she is a, a most impressive person who I hope we can have on the podcast at some point. But uh, Delcy spent many years working at PETA as a vice president of, of legal matters. She was a, a Harvard um, Animal Law Program fellow for a couple of years, which is where I first met her. And uh, just a tremendous, tremendous lawyer and advocate. So, so that's pretty cool, too. Yeah, no, it's uh, they're exciting. In fact, there are quite a few clinics. You've listed a few of them uh, here. There, there are quite a few animal law clinics, although I do believe they vary in size and sort of uh, ambition. But uh, in addition to Lewis and Clark and their two clinics, there has long been a clinic at uh, Michigan State, where David Favor, uh, I believe, was involved in starting up that clinic. And I, I was under the view there were clinics as well, or there at least was a clinic for a while at Georgetown and uh, possibly at Duke as well. Hmm. Okay. I didn't even know about those ones, but, but that's great. I mean, the nice thing about the clinic is it's pretty scalable. You can start pretty small and just have a couple students working there and a part-time supervisor, or you could make it into, um, you know, a, a, a massive entity depending on resources and, uh, the types of initiatives you can take on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you're right. As I said, like I was joking, of course, when I said hiring my two students was like a clinic, but it's true. It doesn't, doesn't need to be a massive thing. What it needs is some institutional support. That's the hardest part. There does, there are costs affiliated with a clinic and somebody has to bear those costs and those costs are not always cheap. Uh, so it, it does, it does take some time, uh, to get a clinic going, but I think it would just be a wonderful thing, uh, to, to transport, talk about an idea I'd like to import into Canada, Camille. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think the time is, is coming. Uh, well, who knows? I'm not going to make any predictions as to when we might see one in Canada. But to me, this is the sort of thing that's inevitable. As more and more students want to get engaged with this work, they're demanding this from their law schools. Mm. And an animal law clinic will absolutely be a selling point uh, for many students. I mean, uh, we know that the students are increasingly going to law school these days because they want to practice animal law. Mm. And I'm sure some of you listening are in that boat. I, we get emails and uh, messages all the time from students who are in law school and went there because they want to do this work. So I see a very bright future for this, and I can't wait until we've got the first one in this country. Well, pump the brakes, Camille. Let's try and get a freaking conference first, okay? I mean, come on. <laughs> hey, I'm working on it, like, oh. flat out. Come on. Wait a minute. Snap our fingers. Next episode. Okay, cool. Let's do the conference yes. first. Yeah. Very yeah. exciting. Well, congrats to all you people, and congrats to all you lucky students at uh, law clinics across uh Unfortunately, across the United States and not in Canada. But hey, we look forward to uh, hearing you. So any of you who are working in clinics, if anybody is listening to us in the U.S., give us a shout out. Let us uh, know how it's going. We'd love to uh, talk about it in a future episode. Absolutely. And if you're in Canada and you're feeling a little envious like Peter is that we don't have a clinic yet, uh, keep in mind that if you're involved with a student animal justice association in your law school in Canada, uh, those are the student groups that we help support, so we provide funding for them, and we also provide research opportunities. So we do occasionally need research done at Animal Justice throughout the year. So if you want to uh, be part of this team, please get in touch through your, through your law club, and uh, we'll see if we can find some work for you to do and get your hands dirty on. Heroes and Zeros. All right, and now it's time... For everybody's favorite part of the show, Heroes and Zeros. Heroes and Zeros. Camille, after last right. week, I feel that we should start with the zero. Last week ended on such a downer. I was just, you know, I almost had to, like, take a pause and cry a little bit before we could move oh, on with the day. So let's, I let's, know. I don't want to end on a down note. Today, just to mix it up, we're going to start with our zero. Jeez, are, are we going, it's, it's, 
it's really, it seems like we pick on Alberta and British Columbia sometimes, Camille. But we're going, this time we're going back to British Columbia. Yeah, yeah. Out of your province for a while, back to BC. <laughs> we're giving the Zero Award to the BC Conservation Officer Service for doing what appears to me to be an absolutely abysmal law, of uh, absolutely abysmal job, sorry, of enforcing the laws about leaving out food that attracts bears. So our friends at Fur Bear Defenders filed some FOI requests, Freedom of Information, and Mm. they found out that uh, the BC Conservation Officer Service has apparently only issued 12 tickets and fines to people over the last six months for leaving out food and garbage that attracts bears. And that is really uh, the best way, is it not, by cutting out the food attractants? That is the best way to avoid... Uh, bear-human confrontations that necessitate essentially killing bears because we're not going to kill the humans, so we got to kill the bears. That's right. So you know, prevent people from leaving out these attractants, prevent the bears from getting used to coming into the communities. Uh, so you know, the, the number twelve on its own, twelve tickets and fines. Um, that's you know, kind of hard to get a, a grasp on or a concept of what what that actually means. But let me give you another number to compare it to. When the Conservation Officers Service started documenting 2019 black bear killing statistics, we found out that in April and May alone, 113 black bears were killed by conservation officers. Wow. So they're going around killing tons of bears, uh, you know, 10 times more bears than, than they are giving out fines for the astronomical number of people, I believe. Who are seems like the numbers, seems food. like the numbers are all wrong. Yeah, shouldn't it be the other way around? I mean, it should be zero bears, but you'd think it would be more in the other direction. Right. No, no, no. You know, there's nothing that drives me crazier. Every once in a while you see that online. Forget about, like, I mean, let's let's leave aside for the moment the people who leave garbage out. Very, very bad idea. They don't close it properly. Bad idea. Like, the people who really drive me crazy are the ones who just go out and think, oh, I'm going to feed this bear. This is so cute. Yeah, there are yeah. people like that, Camille. It's amazing. It's a, it's astonishing. Uh, it's to amazing me. how they don't understand at this point that that's a death sentence for those bears, and and quite possibly a death sentence for them, depending on how the bear reacts. But anyway, that's that's another story. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Wow, bears don't mess around. Wow. So All very right. disappointing. Um, these Oof. guys are, are quickly losing public trust, as uh, Leslie Fox, executive director of the Fur Bears, points out in this article. There, uh, these are. This is an agency that just indiscriminately kills bears. This is the latest example of the, the lopsided enforcement strategy that we've seen from them. But it's it's pretty bad, and it has been for quite some time. So zero to the BC conservation officers. All right, cheer me up, Camille. Boy, I need something brighter than that. <laughs> are you are you seriously going to try to cheer me up by talking about something in the UK? <laughs> yeah, where, you know, where it is weird that there are political hero in the midst of what is going on in the UK. Because as we record this, it's I don't know. Can we go with haywire? <laughs> it's like mass yeah, haywire pandemonium. Seems appropriate. Sounds like they're going into an election. There's With Brexit craziness. Votes. But they can't go uh, into an election because they need two-thirds of the vote. It's just insanity down there. Up there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I don't live there right now. But, but there actually, is a, I kind of wish I did yeah. in one way. Mm. So this article came out, and this, this platform issue was released before the election stuff. But the UK Labour Party has re- uh, released a manifesto on animal rights issues. And I've taken a look through it and it's actually pretty good, Peter. Wow. That's that's actually high praise. High praise so from you concerning a political group. It's pretty good. Yeah. Mm. So listen to some of their pledges. Mm. They will ban all fur. Like, what? That's amazing. Uh, there's an appetite for that in the UK. When I was there last summer, that was a discussion on the BBC on TV one day. So I guess I'm not surprised, but that's pretty awesome. Wow. They pledge to outlaw boiling op- lobsters alive. Uh, no more keeping primates as pets. No more foie gras imports. They're, they want to ban live no more, no more keeping slaughter. No more keeping primates as pets. Wow. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's I amazing mean, that we need a law for that. Isn't it, though? Because primates, sorry, Camille, I hate to do this. This is where I expose my scientific ignorance. But when we say primates, we're not talking monkeys and stuff. So, like, Ikea monkey lady is still safe with a primates outlaw. With primates, we're talking primates being, you know, gorillas and chimpanzees. Or am I wrong in that? No, a primate is all the the monkey-like creatures. 
Oh, it includes monkeys. I always get yeah, them mixed yeah. up. You're I, thinking so of great apes. I'm thinking of great ape legislation. Okay, so primates would get rid yeah. of the IKEA monkey lady. Well, fantastic. I would love that too. Yeah. Even I know, better. amazing. Uh, we talk about farm subsidies a lot on this program. They would tie farm subsidies to animal welfare outcomes. And they would strengthen <gasps> How dare the they, fox Camille? How dare they? How dare they do yeah. something so radical? <laughs> Imagine some accountability you, you, for the we, billions we, of dollars that farms get. We want you to take our money, goddammit, and do what you want with it. That's what we want you to do. Okay, okay, we'll do that. Sure. But we'll, we'll get people to vote for you. That's what we'll do. Great. Uh, they would wonder, strengthen the fox hunting ban. Well, that's good. How much stronger can and, it get? Well, I don't think it's great right now because they still allow Loopholes. like fake fox mm. hunting where they're not really supposed to kill them, but they do anyways, and it's hard mm. to enforce. Mm. So that's cool. And then uh, they would ban blue traps and snares. Huh. Cool. So, wow. you know, not bad. Not bad. Wow. Very uh, these are sort of like things I think society's ready for, especially the Brits, who tend mm. to be a little bit more, a lot more progressive on animal issues than many other places, but pretty cool. And for that, they deserve our hero award. So let's hope these issues get some airtime if there's an election. Fantastic. Very excited about it. I like it. I, uh, I, I like it all. That's good. Camille, you've cheered me up. We're leaving on a cheery note for a change. That's fantastic. Well, look at that. Look at that. Well, we are, uh, you're going to, those of you, I advise all of you, I, I should have done this at the beginning, Camille, to listen to this episode very slowly. You want to make it last because we are going to be gone for at least a month, it sounds like, Camille. And uh, we'll be coming back to you uh, right around the October conference, possibly even live from Halifax. I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to miss you guys. Have a good month. And we'll, we'll miss you. forward to yes. catching up on all the news. And let me just say, for the record, for those of you coming to the October conference, uh, um, remember that your goal, whenever you uh, uh, meet Camille or I, don't be, don't be, don't be scared. We're very, very friendly people, right, Camille? Totally, <laughs> I am and, at least. And I'm, oh yeah, Camille is. I, I try to hide. I've, I've been known to, you know, scare small children. Um, and. Um, Please, please, if you do listen to the show, I always like hearing about it, right, Camille? That way I can believe there are listeners who listen to the show. Yeah. Fantastic. So uh, since our next podcast will likely be from Halifax, we will say hello to all of you in advance and tell you how much we're looking forward to it. See you all soon in Halifax, listeners. Very excited about it. And I guess that's the next time I'll see you, Camille. It is. It is. All Bye right. for now. Bye. We'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in today. We'd love to ask you to subscribe to the Pod and Order podcast using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or your other favorite podcatcher. Also, please leave a rating because it helps more people find the show. And if you can, please tell other listeners to share the podcast so more people can hear us. You can also consider supporting us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pot and order, if you like what you hear. You can find me on Twitter at, at Peter Sankoff or at my website, petersankoff.com. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Camille Labchuk, that's L-A-B-C-H-U-K. And we always enjoy Twitter conversations about the show or any other animal law or political topics. And finally, we'd like to thank our producer, Shannon Milling. See you next time on Paw and Order. For more great iRaw podcasts, visit iRawPod.com. That's I-R-O-A-R-P-O-D.com. Ah!